All right. Well, we are here with Jared. Jared, see, that's why I do it every time. It's perfect. It's okay. We're learning process, you know. Ah, okay. I would leave this in. <laughs> yes, please do. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Strive's How You Lead Matters podcast, where we discuss everything leadership. From tapping into your motivation to feeling yourself with grit, we're here to support you as you discover the character-driven leader in yourself and those around you. I'm Caroline Lettner. And I'm Jared Smith. All right, today we are talking to two incredible people, Brittany and Sebastian Acosta Najomkin, and I'm so grateful to now know them in real life after meeting in the virtual world. Yes. Brittany and Sebastian are founders of the Academy of Sports Performance and Innovation in Delaware. And they both also have full-time jobs and are parents to young children. I honestly don't know how they do it all. Oh, yeah. Sebastian is the Girls Director of Coaching and Operations and Development Director for Delaware Union. And Brittany is the Director of Leadership Education at Delta Phi Epsilon Sorority. I'm so stoked to have you guys on. You get to talk with our new co-host, Jared Smith, as well. We're just super grateful to have you guys on today. Awesome. Thanks for having us, Caroline. Thank you. Of course. So I wanted to get right into it. Academy of Sports Performance and Innovation has been an awesome partner to strive, and we have loved kind of learning and, and collaborating on all of the things that we do. Can you tell us just a little bit more about Academy Sports Performance and Innovation and what the motivation was behind starting it? For sure. So Sebastian and I are married. Um, so for those listeners out there, um, and we have two different career paths, but ultimately we work to educate young people and we're both really passionate about education. Um, we were both athletes at different levels, hit Sebastian a lot better than I, in a lot of ways. Um, and we're both passionate about sports. Um, and I work in education. So I had been in a college setting for a little over six years and now work for an international sorority doing leadership education for members and alumni. So, um, we had been tossing around this idea for probably a year or more, probably closer to two, where we were just talking about all the things that we thought youth players needed, but there wasn't anything centralized, right? So you could go as an individual player to a nutritionist and you could have a workout plan and you could work with your um, high school counselor to make sure you were getting information about college and you could talk to your coach about your interest in maybe playing or not um, in college for your sport. And all of those different things you could do individually as an individual, right? I could make the initiative and do that. But there was no place where guidance was being offered holistically in those areas. Um, the other area that I was very, I am very passionate about and I often think is overlooked is how families are viewed as partners and should be viewed as partners in their Ooh. education and in their students' career um, versus we are done with helicopter parents and snowplow parents. Those are not the parents and family members we're working with anymore. Yeah. So even if it feels that way. So we were really talking about how do we bring all of this together into one organization, starting with our state, right? Starting in Delaware. Um, how do we bring this to the community um, and not to make money? We weren't out here trying to like make the big bucks, quit our full-time jobs to run ASBI, but how do we help the athletes in our community figure out their path to and through college, if that's their path, um, or figure out that that's not their path. And then what do they want to do to be the best version of themselves? So we were really just trying to bring all the pieces together because there are organizations who do the college thing. There's organizations that do the health thing, but there's not organizations doing it all in kind of a one-stop shop format. And Sebastian, feel free to add if I miss anything. Yeah, I mean, uh, the other part of this is, and in, in I come from the from the soccer world, where at the club level, unless you're at an uh, an elite or a big club or or quote unquote a big club, and you're you're spending a decent amount of money on on the full thing of like, all right, you get the college recruitment part of it, maybe you get the the sports performance part of it all in one. If you're not in that big club, but you still have the aspiration of, of doing so. Um, you know, how do you, how do you find that? Right. And, and smaller clubs or medium sized clubs sometimes have a hard time having enough resources to be able to provide that for their student athletes. I work at a club where we have all the greatest intentions in the world and, and we try to do as much as we can, but 
to a certain extent, you know, we, there is a limit as to what, what you can provide. Yeah. And, uh, and we, we thought ASPI could to a certain extent bridge that gap. And we've, we've created some different programs throughout the last, uh, I mean, we've, we just passed our one year anniversary at some hey. point this, over this last couple of months. So or the last month, Congrats. Um, thank you. Thank you. Uh, we, we missed our own anniversary too, by the way, don't worry. It's okay. Uh, <laughs> um, um, but yeah, so we, over the last year, we've, we've created some different programs or done, done some different things to on the, on the soccer part. And we've, we've started to, to embark in some different sports as well. Um, but how to bridge that gap for, for student athletes, how to get the student athlete that either a, uh, geographically doesn't have access to the, to the big club to a certain extent, um, financially maybe doesn't have access to it or just doesn't want to do, to embark in that level of commitment yet is still extremely committed to the sport. Yeah, that's huge. I think I know speaking from the soccer world, like those resources were very dependent on where you were, who you were, what club you were part of. Um, Jared, did you feel that in the basketball world as well? Oh, yes. Um, and mostly, honestly, a lot of the times is the relationship that student athletes have with their parents, because mm. I didn't want to put my parents through the burden of an AAU trial or not like not the trial, but like having to wake up early, having to take me places and the gas money, the hotels, and just all the costs that are racked up in the whole uh, traveling and AAU experience. And that goes with it for honestly any sport. Cause um, I know I did a couple of baseball, baseball um, showcases too. And then you don't know if those showcases are just honestly money hungry showcases or if they are really college scouts looking to um to acquire new players and things of that nature yeah that's intense i think it's it's upsetting to know that that's how it works but like you can't always trust what something is putting out there well i think part of it as well is is you know when especially with showcases again you're relying and i think strive has done a fantastic job of of beginning to or or to work or focusing on the coaching education part of it right so it's hard for it's hard for coaches to expect something of the athletes that the coach himself himself or herself can't cannot do right so so we talk about these showcases and we put our teams in these showcases and and I myself are 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 part of that right I put myself in my, I put our teams in showcases and college showcases and we go out and we prepare ourselves on the field we train three nights before the showcase we we have all the players we we're good to go we get to the showcase and have yet to you know for for example tell my players hey hey here are the schools that are coming here's you re- want to reach out to the schools here's how you should contact the schools here's how you know do you have a um do you the, do you do we have a parent assigned or do we have a coach assigned to talking to the college coaches and handing out our our pamphlets flyers whatever it is that we have from a team perspective right so that becomes extremely individualized on how much experience the coach has i didn't play college soccer so my experience is coming from the coaching side of things and, and learning what what i as a college coach before was looking for yeah. from a recruitment standpoint right so um you know w- one of the things that that we did at, at aspi is we created a, a a college prep night for for student athletes and their families oh. and i think w- and something that we did a little bit different that i really enjoyed was that we did breakout rooms on zoom and to a certain extent the pandemic somewhat facilitated this and the fact that we weren't able to meet in person so when we were able to do it in Zoom, it was a little bit easier. We were able to bring in college coaches from different parts of the country, which which is helpful. Um, where if you were doing it in person, it would be a little bit harder to do. But we did breakout rooms, and we separated the families and the student athletes. And so now the student athletes and the families maybe get the same information, but with a different tone or directed at a specifically at a parent. I know that um, on the boys' college night that we had, we had Nick Papa Nicholas, who's the head coach at Wilmington University. Oh, wow. And, and, um, and I know he, and I know Brittany was on the, on the, on that breakout room, but I know he was, he was very blunt and realistic with the parents about, about what, what it takes to, for a player to play college soccer. And it's, it's not easy. I mean, the, 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 no, no part of the pro- process of playing college sports is easy, Certainly uh, not. <laughs> but by any stretch of the imagination, but at the same time, it's not, it's not impossible. Right. But I think a lot of it is, is, you know, the resource that are available and the drive that the student athlete and, the, and you know, the family has. 
Nice, nice. Um, so, um, Sebastian and Brittany, I have a question for you both. Um, but of course, I need to tell a little story. But uh, so, you know, after as as Caroline told everybody and the viewers know or listeners know, I just graduated from Penn State, and from my time there, reflecting on what I would do if I were to talk to my younger self, I would tell myself, hey, maybe don't go shoot for the D1 program right away. Maybe go for a Junco and transfer in and look at the different ways. Can you talk a little bit about that? And if you all are really um, showing, you know, the student athletes and their parents, because that combination is very important that, you know, there's more than one way to get to Pittsburgh, which is a little saying that I picked up along the line, but there's more than one way to get to anywhere. So <laughs> if you can talk a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm a, I'm a, I have a huge respect and a huge passion for learning about uh, division two and division three schools. Um, we both Bernie and I went to a division two school. Um, neither of us played sports there, but, but I was a coach at, at the women's and the women's soccer team. And I learned a lot while I was there. Um, but coming to Delaware, one of the things that that I was very interested in was, especially with working with Delaware Union and, and doing some college tours with our teams, was because of some of the eligibility rules from an NCAA perspective, sometimes if, you, if you're trying to travel with a, with a team that has freshmen and sophomores, right? So let's just say we're going five, six hours away to a tournament. Um, you know, for example, we're this this coming weekend. I'm taking the team to North Carolina, and we're going to Raleigh, right? So everybody thinks, oh, you're going to Raleigh, so that means you're going UNC, Chapel Hill, yeah. uh, you know, one of the top one of the top women's soccer programs in the entire country, coached by the all time like winningest coach in the in the country. Um, but the reality is, is that most of our players will probably not play there. Mm -hmm. uh, not only that, again, as a freshman and sophomore in college, UNC cannot talk to you from a soccer standpoint. Mm -hmm. So what do we do? You know, do we just go to the tournament, take three days, five hours of driving and things like that and come home? Well, we're doing a tour of Meredith College, which is an all women's uh, division three school in Raleigh. Um, and we, I talked to the coach, I reached out to the coach. One of the things I, I learned by talking to coaches, especially as we put the panels together for ASPI, um, and, and uh, I, I, I will give 100% of the credit to Eileen Escalisi from Ursinus College on this. Um, she said, you know, when you, when you graduate from an institution, it doesn't say, uh, you know, graduate of Ursinus College, Division Three Women's Soccer. Mm -hmm. It just says graduate from Ursinus College, right? It doesn't, it doesn't, so it's really about, it's not necessarily about the level of play, it's about where you ultimately want to go to school. And I think Division Two and Division Three schools, especially Division Three schools where there is no athletic scholarships available, um, and even in the same idea with junior colleges, um, a lot of those coaches want to hear from 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 student athletes and from coaches, from like club coaches. They they are waiting for people to come and talk to them, and and they're super excited to to show you around and and to 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 hear to um to talk about their program. And the other part is, you know, especially with their sinus. Um, for example, this coming weekend or this coming week when we have our our girls' college prep night, your sinus coach couldn't make it. She has scheduling conflict. So what does she do? She connected me to another coach that she knows and another coach is going to step in and it's a really good friend of hers, right? So it's a very close-knit community from a from a soccer standpoint um, that I think maybe at the Division One level, it's a little bit, it's because it's a lot more competitiveness to it as well. So I think that that potentially helps. Networking. Thank you to dive into... Yeah, but we do dive into that with our with the athletes and the families um, in the panels that we do. So these college prep nights we do, or if we're having a one-on-one -on -one conversation with the family. So as Sebastian was alluding to, in the family breakout rooms, we are very like very honest, and I don't even have to be the one to say it, right? I can lean on the coaches, and they're like, "Yeah, I'll tell you exactly how many people I recruited, and from where they're and where they are from, and what their experiences were, and I'll tell you how much money I give players and." we lean into this idea of we want everyone to know that this idea of like a D1 full ride isn't the reality of what really happens for people, right? And it happens for some people, but it doesn't happen for most people. And so we use the NCAA statistics and show in the session, here's like how many 
um, scholarships are actually available, right, at each level for each team type of sport. And what does that mean when you think about Title IX and you think about, you know, you need academic scholarships or grants. Um, so we dive into that and let them know. And then in the student breakout room, the students get a little taste of that. We try to usually have an athlete, at least one athlete in there too, to get that perspective. But in the family breakout room, the coaches are honest and we're honest. Um, and in the session, we also try to say, to your point, Jared, I love that there's more than one way to get <laughs> to Pittsburgh. Um, we lean into that. So I, one of my like lines that I always say is, you, if you want to play college sports, awesome. Let's figure out the way for you to shoot towards your goal and hopefully you get to your goal. And if you don't, then what's your backup goal? Um, and then I always tell people, you can also choose not to play college sports if you don't want to. You can go ball out and win every free t-shirt in intramurals, right? Like you could be the best player in intramurals. Listen. That's what I say every time. Or you can coach. Or you can coach. <laughs> Or you can coach, right? And so Sebastian does a lot about like creating future coaches um, and he's really established that, but that is so true. Like you can go coach or you can be a really good intramural player or you do you can do club too, right? Which is still really competitive. So we try to talk about the different, we do talk about the different levels. So not just D1, D2, D3, but then we also dive into what does club mean? What does intramurals mean? you can coach, right? Like if you've ever thought of maybe you like that educational side of it. So we do try to introduce those options to people so they know maybe it takes a little pressure off for somebody. Maybe it empowers a student to tell their family, I don't think I actually want to play in college, right? I want to go, I want to play in reels or I want to play club and I want to join other activities, right? Or I want to focus on my um, school and get an education. And then maybe after a year, I'll try out for club or I'll do intramurals, right? So um, we try to open that conversation up so people know that they have a lot of options to still be athletic and still be a lover of their sport, but it doesn't mean they have to play D1. And I saw it straight up with my brother, um, incredibly talented athlete, soccer player, and a football kicker, um, went JUCO, right, was trying to get recruited, um, had some great offers, but was really looking for D1 and didn't get what he was looking for and chose to ultimately stop and just pursue his degree, finish his degree and, and kind of end where he ended on, you know, go out on top. So um, we saw it firsthand in our own family, like watching him navigate this process um, in particular, as he was the first one in my family to go to college playing sports. Um, and, you know, my siblings and I are first generation in our family to go to college period. So to have him go as the first one to play sports was really interesting and to see his path not turn out the way he originally planned or originally wanted, but then to see him kind of navigate that on his own decision-making around, do I continue to push this or do I stop here um, was a really interesting moment too. Yeah, 100%. I, I have a lot of jokes about this, like in my family, but the fact that I believe strongly that if you provide diversity of choices. It does not decrease the original choice that was there. It does not decrease the value of it. It just provides more assurance really that the choice that you end up making is the one that was meant for you because you were really able to weigh your options. And like you both have said so many things that resonate with me, but that's the one that I'm really hearing is like D1 is amazing and that's great. And there are other choices. I went to a D3 school. I loved it. It was the right fit for me as a 5'3 keeper. I probably wasn't going D1 anywhere anytime soon, but like regardless, realizing that there was an option for me of someone who like really cared about soccer, really loved the sport and really loved my academics and wanted to make sure that I was doing both. That was the balance that was right for me. And I was given the opportunity and the privilege to like evaluate that. But I also come from a place of privilege, even just watching my sister go through it. My sister ran track and cross country at Haverford College. So it's no surprise that I ended up in the Centennial Conference at FNM because I watched all of the athletes at the track meets. That was like how I decided what college I wanted to go to is I'll just sit there as a high schooler and be like, oh, I think I would be friends with like these two groups. Let me go do a tryout. Let me go talk to the coaches. Um, another thing that I love that you guys said was around like, it doesn't say D3 college anywhere on your thing. Like even beyond that, and I know some people are going to disagree with me, but like I've never been asked how much I played in a job interview. I've never been asked my goals against average. 
that stuff matters. I'm a competitive person. Like, trust me, I, I cared about that. It mattered. And it's not the end all be all of sports. And I love that you guys are prioritizing that for families and students in that situation. Well, and I think it's a cultural, it's a cultural change too. I mean, from a, from a coaching standpoint, right. If you were to apply to any sort of coaching job um, or majority of coaching jobs, a lot of them, especially at the collegiate level, require you to have, have been a, a collegiate athlete, right? Mm-hmm. Now, nobody asked that question, right? Well, did you get to play at all or not, right? What if you were the athlete that didn't get to play a single minute in four years? Yeah. How did I play right bench? There you go, <laughs> right? Does that, in, in, in theory, right? No, no discredit to, to college athletes because I think that there's a lot of value in it. But I also think that, like, for example, like I, I battle through that through this anytime I've applied for a job because I didn't play the sport in mm. college. Right. And there's that weird like double standard of like, well, did you play college? Well, no, but I did all these other things. Yeah. Right. So so what is now why is one why is one better than the other? Right. When ultimately, again, at the end of the day, if I have a degree, if I have the qualifications, if I have the coaching certifications that I'm supposed to have. And all I didn't do was play this sport for four more years than somebody else, or I played it for, you know, I played four less years than somebody else. So then there's, and hopefully there is a, there's a, you know, the things that that you're doing at Strive are going in this direction where, where the, there's intentionality in coaching education towards coaching people, not just coaching the sport. And I think that's the key. Um, I've sat through a lot of coaching courses where we talk about, the X's and O's of the game. And we talk about how this is perfect for the elite athlete. Great. Fantastic. The reality is, is the majority of us are not coaching the elite athlete. Yeah. The majority of us are coaching the average to below average to above average athlete. So how do we take, it's our job now after afterwards as a coach is how to take what is supposed to be geared towards the elite athlete and transfer that and, figure out how to adjust that, right? Slanty line theory of how do you adjust that to now the athlete that is not at the elite level, that doesn't have the same commitment, that doesn't have the same background, doesn't have the same privilege. So that's, that's to me, that's a big part of it. Yeah, it's understanding the skill set rather than like the required, like kind of one size fits all experience. And that like, you're hundred percent right. That's why, that's why I played soccer is because I realized the skill set that I was developing from it, but I didn't have to play soccer in order to develop that skill set. Other experiences in life can help you develop communication, can help you develop that. And that's, that is why Strive exists and why I'm grateful to be there is because those are the skills that we prioritize because those are the ones that are going to carry through. I think about this for my time in education as well. Like I had a really profound conversation with some, some of my colleagues once where we sat down and the question was just posed to the group of like, what is the purpose of education? Like erase everything we know what is the purpose of education? And most of us in the room came down to like building those same skills that I attribute to soccer, communication, respect, et cetera, like all of that, like that's really for me kind of like education's purpose as well. And, and so I just, I'm always so grateful to have people that I align with and understanding that. Yes. Yes. So uh, I want to shift the conversation to like actual what like what y'all do and I guess I'll start it off with not what y'all actually do but clearly like but um so what is your favorite thing to teach and to um give to the student athletes and their parents like do you have a favorite unit so like Sebastian said we're still pretty young so I think I would say in our favorite my favorite programs have been um our college prep nights but um I also um wanted to say I really enjoy working with the families. And I really just want to know, I want people to know that families are partners in students' educational pursuits, right? And the students who are in elementary school now and all the way to the students who are in college now, their families are there for every single step. And we can't just assume that they're in high school and their families are involved on Friday. And then on Monday, they're a college student and their family members are no longer allowed to be involved in any conversations. And it's automatically deemed a helicopter or a snowplow parent. You're just clearing the path if you are involved. 
Um, this generation, so Generation Z, they view their family members as their partners in all of their decision making, right? So no, the parent shouldn't be making the decision for their student, but the students are looking to their family members for support and to be a sounding board, right? And I have to also recognize not every student has that opportunity to use their family in that way. So how do we provide places like Strive and Strive's programs where students can go to seek mentorship and to have those adult figures that they can use in those ways. So we're just trying to kind of break that stereotype of, well, we shouldn't be catering to family members because we need to be catering to family members. If they're educated on the process, they can help guide through that process and help teach some of those skills, right? Because who knows the athlete better than their parent or their support system, like very few people. So um, when I think about our kids, you know, in a few years, I don't want to make their choices, but I would like to be able to help support the school or support their coaches in the messages. I mean, I guess we do it now, right? If the daycare says you have to do this about masks or you have to do this about nap time or is what you can and cannot bring, I ask questions so that way I can support the daycare, right? I called last week and I was like, I want to be able to reinforce what you're saying. So can you clarify this for me? Yeah. Um, so I think really just um, figuring out how to bring families into the fold of what we are doing as organizations. So that way they can then translate that. And I think that goes to your point, Caroline, about education. Like, how are we teaching people to be respectful? How are we teaching people to write an email correctly, right? Or to communicate with an adult or to communicate, I know Jared, right? The email thing. Listen, um, I'm a little worried with the emails. It's <laughs> kind of crazy. And then you know, let me not even get yeah, in. No, <laughs> you're fine. You're fine. Yeah. So I really like working with families and all that we do. Um, and I hope that in the future, we can continue to expand on the work that we do with families um, and showing them that they do have a place in this process. Because I Again, I didn't play college, but I feel like the narrative around college selection is the parents shouldn't be in the loop as much or shouldn't be one, like shouldn't be part of the pathway. Um, and it should be only the student leading. And I think it's now kind of a hand in hand thing. And we need to lean into that instead of continuing to push people away. For sure. Well, um, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Yeah. From my standpoint, I think um, what I enjoyed the most is somewhat on the opposite of Brittany. I enjoyed talking to the athletes about the fact that, that it's not just about, yes, it's about knowing your sport, but it's about really understanding the why your sport is important, right? So I think, I think there's a lot. We can all sit here. this. We can talk about it from a soccer standpoint. We can talk about it from a basketball standpoint. We can talk about it from any sports perspective, right? You can sit there and take that 10,000-hour rule and shoot – 10,000 free shots, you can take, uh, you know, juggle the ball 150 different ways, but understanding why that's important, right? Why, why is that going to get you to where you're trying to go? And understanding what, what else, right? Are, are you, do you, I, I think, you know, from a, from a sports perspective, I think um, student athletes don't, at least from a soccer standpoint, they don't watch their sport. So there's a lack of understanding because they don't watch their sport or because at times their sport's so commercialized that you're not really watching it for the right reasons or you're not watching it to understand it, right? So from a soccer standpoint, I'm watching uh, Ronaldo to figure out how to do his goal celebrations <laughs> or, or, or uh, I'm watching, I'm watching exactly, right? Or I'm watching Joel Embiid. Uh, but as Caroline pointed out, I might be five, three. Uh, <laughs> so that might be a little bit difficult for me to be Joel Embiid because I don't think I'm going to be able to dunk the ball the way similar Joel Embiid is because I might be five, three. Uh, so, um, so understanding, but understanding the why, understanding the process of how things get there and understanding that there are multiple ways of, of exploring your sport, right? You know, what, how are you taking your care of your body? Yeah. You know, exactly. how, how are you taking care of your mental health, right? There are times for breaks. You should not play your sport 100% of the time, all the time. There are times to just completely rest and take, like sleeping is important. <laughs> you should sleep, you know, there is a, a right amount of sleep. Uh, but, but I think at times we put so much pressure on student athletes, especially as they get into high school, because, um, you know, they, they now have to get jobs. They now have to try to have, live some sort of a social life. They have to go to school. They have to play a sport and they have to play a high school sport and they have to play another high school sport. Uh, and then wait, did I hold on? Did I mention they have to play another high school sport? Because like, like, 
and and there is a big gap that gets created there. I think high school sports, speaking also as a high school soccer coach, high school sports are fantastic and great, but there are those high school coaches that completely burn their student athlete to the ground because they don't talk to their student athlete to see what else they do. Mm-hmm. If I have a student athlete that's also playing club soccer at the same time they're playing high school soccer, all right, we got to figure out that relationship because we're going to burn the kid to the ground. Yeah. That's not going to be good, right? None of us, and I can't look at it from like, oh, well, I, I, I got to win. I, I got to win. Well, okay, well, we all have to win. And the reality is, is most of us are not going to. Yeah. Because it's not that many, again, in, a, in an average, how many coaches can really say outside of the top, like one or 2%, like how many coaches say that they've won more than they've lost? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it's, we had this conversation at work recently and one of my colleagues was discussing the quote of like, for whom does it work? And so coaches, parents, athletes, students, they're all in a partnership, but the question is for whom are we like working for? And, and so long as parents, coaches, et cetera, are bought into the fact that like, it is the student athletes time right now. And so this needs to work for them, not necessarily the team, not necessarily like some of those things may have to go slightly to the wayside, but what's the priority? The priority is the student's developments, this athlete's development. So we need to make decisions that are in the best mindset of that. Yes. The other priorities are there. Yes. They matter find a balance, figure out how to make it work. And it's, it's certainly not easy because like you said, you're organizing practices for your team to do well. And you want to figure out how to make sure that you're not running them into the ground. And so sometimes that means rest. Sometimes that means adjusting schedules. How do you guys kind of like adjust your programming to the individual? Cause you're very holistically approached focused. So h- how is that process? I think that you're, when you were speaking and all, when all of you were speaking, I wanted to bring up our individual player development plan um, pilot we did last year um, because it, Jared, it hits your question about what are we doing? And Caroline, um, it, it answers your question about the individual and for who does, for whom does it matter, right? For whom does it impact? Um, and that's what Sebastian was kind of alluding to as well. Um, in the last winter, we did a pilot with six middle school athletes, three um, went female identifying, three male identifying um, athletes. And we created, we sat down with them and we did um, initial meetings with each one with myself and either Sebastian or a colleague of ours um, fields in Colorado. And we met with the athletes and talked to them about like, what are your goals as a player? Like, what do you want to do? And this was soccer specific because this was the community we had the ability to do. Um, And so we talked to them about their goals. It was with the athlete and their family member, I should also um, include. And you just talk to them, what are your goals? If you have six weeks, right, to develop one skill or a couple things, what would you like to do? And the skill doesn't need to be a physical soccer skill, or it could be. Um, We also did, as part of that um, experience, they filled out a self-evaluation based on the pillars of the game, and their coach filled out an evaluation of them based on the pillars of the game. And in that initial meeting, we got to know each other and then we went over the evaluation. So this is how you scored yourself. And on one sheet, you can see how your score and your coach's score line up or don't. And then we had a conver- that conversation about goals. So if you have a six week program to get individual attention, what would your goals be? And like, which of these categories and what do you wanna work on? And we basically helped them write a goal. And then once, a- and then they were assigned a coach. So in this case, it was either Sebastian um, worked with the um, male soccer players and Fields worked with the female soccer players. A lot of the women came from Sebastian's team. So we wanted to make sure they didn't have him again doing this experience. Um, And they met with one of them weekly to check in on their goals. And what we did was we provided them essentially a weekly plan, right? Like we gave them a weekly plan every Sunday night. We would say, hey, here's what you have coming up for the week. These are the activities you should do. They were broken out into, you know, physical, mental, all of the different parts of the game, right? So there were some workout pieces, there were some technical pieces, there were some tactical pieces, and there were some um, mental pieces in there. So how do you take care of yourself in all of those categories? Um, and so we did that for each individual player. Our six players got a lot of things that were consistent across the board because we a lot of their goals ended up being similar um, and they were all the same age. And so we gave them some things that were similar and then customized some things 
that were unique to their goal. And then at the end, we did a wrap up meeting with the athlete um, and the family member to kind of get their feedback on the experience. And overall, we got good reviews. There's definitely things we can fix up, right? Like we would have loved to do things, a few of the sessions in person, right? In particular, like the tactical and technical things, but it was the middle of winter and COVID was still a lot higher than it is now. So as we move into the next season, we're thinking, you know, is spring the time, right? Is early fall the time? What group are we looking at? But, um, and what can we do in person versus what does need to be sustained online? Um, and we're also looking at, you know, beyond Sebastian and Fields, because they're both, um, Fields is on our board as well, right? So, but beyond those people, how do we develop a roster of like volunteers, right? Who could be coaches. And instead of, you know, our board each seeing three or four students a week, could we do one, like you are mentoring one athlete, right? For the whole semester, for the whole six weeks. And then you only have one person to meet with, but it, that person gets more energy from you because you're meeting with one person instead of four people every week, right? So develops a relationship. Yep. Yeah. And and then that relationship is important because when we did the exit interviews, that was one of the highlights, right? Like the the girls were like getting to know Coach Fields was a highlight. Having that connection is a highlight, right? And the and the men said the same thing about Sebastian, right? Like getting to know Coach Sebastian better and knowing that I can go to him in this capacity was a big win. Um, and it was interesting the the age, the age range too. So that is one of the programs that we tested out last winter. And we're still trying to figure out the exact right uh mixture of things, right? Like when is the right timing? What are the right coaches and mentors? Um, do they need soccer experience or not? Right. Um, how does this translate after we do it again, how does this translate to other sports? So we can open up to the community in a bit more of a broad fashion here in Delaware. So we did, um, you know, to, to touch on what Brittany was talking about. So we, uh, one of the things that we found out from a, from a goal perspective that I thought was interesting was that a lot of the goals started out because everybody thinks, Oh, goal setting. I got to figure out how can I get better at my sport? So it becomes more of a technical, technical thing. But when we dove deeper into the conversations, I think we all realized that a lot of the goals, came more from a mental standpoint, right? They, it was some sort of a mentally driven part of it. Was a confidence issue or, or in general, something about the, the ethic, the effort or the work ethic that's put in or, or the, so that was, that was a big part of it. And then the other thing that we, we did over the summer, uh, which I was very happy that we were able to get off the ground was we did a, we did a program at um, Eastover Elementary through 21st century through a grant. And we were able to do a six-week summer camp where um, where elementary school uh, kids were able to do soccer for three weeks and field hockey for three weeks. So it was uh, for them. It was exposing them to sports that they never really in maybe wouldn't be able to ex be able to ex be exposed to. Yeah. Um, and we brought in uh, one of our other partners, Forever Fit Foundation, and they came in and taught them the uh, FIFA 11 injury prevention program nice. uh which is a which is designed and, and scientifically proven to to minimize the risk of injuries now for elementary school kids it's not a huge piece because most elementary school kids recover relatively quickly but it is understanding or laying a foundation of some of the mechanics that go into into stretching and taking care of your body and not just you know thinking about just going into especially if you're going to play a sport on a consistent basis, taking care of your body instead of just jumping in and, and start playing without properly stretching and warming up and, and things can't like that. go in cold turkey. Absolutely Stop. not. Listen, I, I I could tell you right now, I need to stretch before I coach now. <laughs> I need to hit the FIFA 11 before I start coaching. That's interesting. Um, kind of, I don't know if, uh, if Caroline wants to wrap it up here, but I just wanted to quick say this last quick note. Um, because a lot of the things that you all were mentioning were definitely things that I can recall from my time at Strive, um, building the goals and making sure those goals weren't just, I don't know, hit 50 jump shots, um, diving in deeper to what actually goes into hitting 50 jump shots. And again, not just from the mechanical or technical side, but like the mental process of, did you eat a good breakfast this morning? Did you get enough sleep and things of that nature? And also um, goal building and 
accountability. If I can attest to anything to my time at Strive, accountability was the biggest thing that the men's basketball program instilled in us, that we've had to hold ourselves to the standard of the goals that we've recorded. And if you didn't, you know, there should, there's going to be repercussions and repercussions as in, you know, you don't get better or you got to do push-ups and wall sits. And I don't like either of those. So, you know, I try to do it right the first time. And, you know, so I love to hear the similarities in program, honestly, that you all were presenting because, you know, to me, those things work. They made me a better player. And those are some of the things that you take, that I take, and I tell, told my teammates when I was in high school, and I'm still telling my friends when we go out and pay, play at LA Fitness and things like that. So yeah, thank you. I think you, think, you said something, sorry, you, you said something very important there. You said, um, you said, try to do it right the first time, right? And I think, I think the, the, the key word for me is trying. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we think it's either you do it or you don't. Mm-hmm. And, and there, and it's, we look at it, we look at it as a, as a pass fail. Right. Um, and there's so much to be said about actually trying something and, and ultimately making a mistake. And, and I talk to players all the time about the fact that like, you should go out and make as many mistakes as you possibly can. Yeah. That is, that is 100. Now make intention, not intentional mistakes. I, I should say make mistakes because you are trying something. Not to do the right thing. Exactly. 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 Not. You know, we talk about, and and I think it was brought up, uh, and I and I I really got a kick out of this when we when we did at the last coaching education um, day with with Strive. We talked about um, being unconsciously competent or unconsciously incompetent or consciously competent or unconsciously yeah. incompetent. Yeah. And we talked about, and I and I love that because I bring that up with 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 my players all the time. And if we're gonna make mistakes because we are we are trying something, we are trying something new, and we are trying to um test the limits of what we can do great fantastic let's do that because we're going to learn from that and i think that's the key i think when we talk about student athletes and and reaching their next goals in college and things like that is we look at it from a well if you didn't get into unc and you and anson dorans didn't recruit you to play college soccer at chapel hill then it's a failure you you failed at it and 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 we look at it from that times that perspective and i think that's the part we need to start changing and that mindset needs to change and if if you don't get a full 100 percent ride to play college soccer you failed um well the reality is is most kids are not going to because most kids in general are not going to get a full ride because most division one programs have around 30 players and guess what there are not 30 full scholarships on the on any fully funded and that's the thing that's the other key fully funded not every program is fully funded uh program Right. So maybe you maybe there are, you know, 50 percent scholarships. Maybe that's the most you're going to be able to get in general. So I think that the, the for me, the operative word was was trying. And I think that's we at times don't let our kids try things. Mm-hmm. We tell them they either do it or they failed at it instead of, no, you've tried. That's a good thing. Let's try something different or let's try it again. Yeah, it all comes down to kind of the development of that. And like, I I see it when I do do some work with the teenagers um, at the club soccer level, but it's this like fear of mistakes, but that, that has been taught whether intentionally or not, like that, that absolute fear that turns into paralysis of just like, oh my God, like I don't want to make a mistake. So I'm just going to stand here. Cause I like, I'll probably get yelled at that, but it's better than getting yelled at for like making a mistake and like really going out on a limb. I think like the other thing for me that really comes to mind is when you talk about your goal setting process, when I first heard of smarter goals, I think I thought about it it was interesting, but I wasn't that bought into it. And that's the process of like, they need to be measurable. They need to be accountable, et cetera. And one of the pieces that like just clicked for me recently was the effort base. So the E and smarter, um, needs to be effort-based. It needs to be based on your effort. So even an example of like, if I set a goal to win seven games in a season, that's not technically effort-based because I can't control what other teams I come to. So like I may put in an incredible amount of effort and lose every single game. And so when you're working with your students and and when our coaches and all of our listeners are working with the people that they work with, like understanding what effort-based goals really are and like to a certain extent how limiting that is, but in a good way, 
really helps you to set better goals and to actually meet them because it also takes out the excuses part. You now no longer have the excuse of like, well, that team was just better than us because it's effort-based. So if you, if it didn't happen, it was because of effort. Now there are still excuses and reasons why effort changes, et cetera. We all know that from last year, but, but it's still important to realize how, how important that effort or that try part is. I think it makes goals attainable, right? Which is another part of smarter, right? Like, and it makes them flexible. If they're too big and they aren't effort-based, then you can't, it's near impossible, right? And you're just going to end up disappointing yourself because it's effort-based. You can have the emotional IQ to say, I can, my level of effort this week is going to be at 70% because I have all these other things happening, you know, in my mentally and my family or what, you know, school, and you can be honest with yourself about the level of effort you can give that week. And then that's how, you know, like, okay, I'm going to give my 70 and this is what 70 means. I'm going to be able to achieve. Right. I think that's important. You don't have to give a hundred, you can't physically give a hundred percent in a hundred places, a hundred percent. Like, it's just not going to work for anyone. And that, and that's a, a a kid thing. That's a teenager thing. That's an adult thing. We all think we can do it. I think it's interesting to think that at some point we stop, I don't know where this happens, right? We stop encouraging the try and that's Sebastian and Jared's point right into yours too, Caroline. Like we have young kids we were like the, you would have thought we were out here watching like the world cup as they were trying to learn to walk. Right. Yeah. So you can do it. Keep trying again. It's okay that you fell down. Like you're doing great. All right. When they try to run, when they try to speak all of those things that we teach kids to do babies to do toddlers to do, but then we don't like continue that. Right. Like, and I think the other thing that's interesting, that's probably a whole different podcast is <laughs> Our daughter is four and she's doing gymnastics. She's also doing soccer, but she really, really loves gymnastics. And so every time we also really love soccer, but every time we leave one of those activities, soccer or gymnastics, the first thing that I or Sebastian ask is, did you have fun today? Or what was your, the most fun thing you did? Or what was your favorite thing? And I think people are quick to jump to, well, did you like, did you do any, did you accomplish something? Right. Or like, was there like a, you know, what was the, did you play a game and score a goal? Right. Like she's four, they shouldn't be scoring goals. And that's what I love about Delaware union's discovery program. As a side note, they play like red light, green light and learned how to run in the lines. Right. And to me, that's a a better foundation than learning how to score a goal right now, four years old. Um, But regardless, the first question is always, did you have fun? And at some point we lose this, this like idea of fun and we lose this idea of, um, trying and it's okay to, to not get it right. Like just keep trying and like get up. And like, that's what we do with babies. And at some point we just stop. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I know I, that's I, part I think, of it. <laughs> I think part of the reason why, um, is because from a parent standpoint, I've seen it, I've seen it in the years of, of coaching, um, parents stop looking at their kids to a certain extent as, um, they're looking at the experiences that they're financially investing in as fun experiences, and they're looking at them as financial investments towards their own future. Yeah. Mm. Right. So there's a transition between us putting our daughter in gymnastics and, and paying for that or paying for soccer for her to have fun and learn a new skill and learn how to like be social with other kids and learn how to, you know, run in a straight line without falling down. Um, and it becomes to, to the point of like, well, I am now investing in your ability to master a specific skill that is ultimately going to allow you to get to point B or point C or point D or this ultimate thing that I have set in my mind for you that is going to, at some point, pay me back for all the investment that I've put in you. Yeah. Um, so to a certain extent, a roundabout way of saying that of like, well, if I invest thousands of dollars of you playing soccer, you playing basketball or field hockey or something like that, at some point, you're going to go to the Olympics. You're going to go to the World Cup. You're going to go to the NBA. You're going to do or a WNBA. You're going to go all these things and you're going to be able to repay me. And I'm going to like, and, and again, it goes back to that unconsciously, whether we consciously do it or we don't. It's happening. There's a, there's a little bit of that. Right? Oh, I a- will definitely be conscious. <laughs> <laughs> 
right? So, so yeah. you can, you, we could probably sit a group of parents down and majority be like, oh my goodness, no, I, I, all, all I want is for, well, let's go back to your action. <laughs> let's go back to the, the emails that you send or the conversations that we've had. And does, do your actions match what you are ultimately trying to achieve? But I think there is the, that, yeah. that at some point, sports become competitive um, because all of a sudden we put uh, a scoring system involved or a ranking system involved in are you playing for the top team in your state or in your region or in the country? And if you are not, how do I get to, how, where do I have to move to get you to play on the top team in the country? Yeah. yeah. Right. Are you yeah. playing for the best team in the state? And if you're not, I, I'm no longer, I no longer care about, did you lose to somebody else? Did you lose seven, nothing one game? Oh, well, I got to find a new team. Got to find a new club. Right. Like we live in this weird mentality of like, wait a minute, hold on a second. Like every time I have a new player try out on my on any of my teams, the first question I ask them, and it goes back to the same thing Brittany pointed out. Did you have fun? Do you enjoy it? Yes. Great. Fantastic. Do you want to come back and do it again? Yep. All right, cool. Let's do that. Yeah. Because that's all that matters, right? That's all that matters. I can't, and I've had this conversation with multiple coaches, and sometimes some coaches get in, sometimes sometimes they don't. Um Again, we're a medium to small size club. Most players that are coming in to try out or to, uh, you know, go through the ID process at our club are coming in from a recreational level, right? Mm -hmm. So if we're going to sit there and compare them to at the same level as the kids that have been in our program for the last year, no, they're not going to be at the same level. Yeah. Right. Well, they're not good enough. Good enough for what? Right. Like, what are we basing that good enough on? Have they been in our environment? Have we given them a chance? Have we given ourselves a chance to do our job, what we technically are supposed to be doing, right? And I think that's the key, right? It, let's be realistic. To a certain extent, it's easy to coach the really, really good kids. Hmm. It's, it's super easy. Give me, give me the 18 players that all know how to juggle and do all these other things, and my job gets a little bit easier. <laughs> it's the dream team, but not, but not, because there's different. But there's different, there's different challenges that come along with it. Right. But from a coaching standpoint, from a day-to-day -day technical coaching standpoint, my job maybe gets a little bit easier, right. Or the weekends, it gets easier. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But, but then where's the challenge in that, right? Like where, where's the growth, where's the development, right? Where are we now trying to build the next foundation of players instead of just focusing on the kids that are really, really good. Yeah. yeah. I think that comes back to ASPI. Like that's part of why we started, right. We wanted to make sure that we were going to be able to provide something to the community for any level of player, right, top to bottom, to jump in and make a conscious decision as an individual to want to look at themselves as a holistic person and a holistic athlete, right? And so, again, most of our things are free. If there's ever a cost associated with them, it's low. Um, working on lots of grant applications so that way we can keep things at zero or low, right? Again, we're not trying to quit our day jobs. We want to provide this to, to the community. Um, and so really just looking at ways that we can continue to, to partner. And I just wanted to say, like, when you were talking about, Jared, your experience with Strive and the goal setting, Yes, right? Like we did this um, individual development plan for players last winter, and then immediately I had a conversation with Coach Linda, right? And I'm like, this, in order for this to get bigger, this is a partnership opportunity, right? Like, how do we work together, right? Where are the where are the natural the natural partners um, in this, and how do we do this? Because part of what ASPI is is not to compete in a market where we're not meant to be, or we're going to be competing against people like Strive. When we started, the whole goal was let's find the partners in the community that can build essentially this one-stop shop, right? And so we can send students to sports challenge, right? That we work with, or they can send students to our college nights, right? So how do we work um, with them with Forever Fit, right? We're talking about, great, they're teaching our player, they're teaching players at the clubs that partner with us, the FIFA 11 warmups, so that way they can be safe and healthy. But then students can also go to them and get extra services to strengthen, right? Or extra, information they need to be their best physical self and their best physical athlete. So we're still in that process of building partnerships and we're just incredibly thankful that Strive and Forever Fit um, and Delaware Union took the jump with us in our first year to, to test these out. And we think we've been able to be great partners. We've gotten so much from our partnerships um, and we're just hoping we can partner with even more soccer clubs this year in the state of Delaware. And then hopefully as we really 
I know iron out our um, our partnerships and our programs be able to expand into some different sports too. Yeah, well, I think like y'all. <laughs> I know that's why that's why I'm letting the the episode run. I know we're short Sorry. on time here. No, but I mean. I, I say this to a lot of our guests, but I, I really do mean it. Like I w- always want to talk more with our guests. I always want to hear more because th- every part of today's conversation could have been another episode. So you guys will definitely be hearing from me, but before I let you go and Jared, I have to get you on this as well, because I didn't do it in our initial episode. I like to ask our guests how they define leadership. Strive's mission is to redefine leadership to bust some of those myths that we have. So I I will go around the clock. I don't want to put anyone on the spot. So feel free to speak openly. But how do you all define leadership? Oh, man, that's hard. (laughs) Uh, Can I can I say that I, I want people to listen to me and if they don't listen to me, that doesn't work. Does that, does that work? Does that work? Does that work? Leadership. That, leadership. <laughs> I'm a leader. <laughs> yeah, for me, I would say knowing who you are and knowing what you can contribute. Mm. If that's literally stepping in and knocking down the game winner, that's you. But if that's, you know, getting water for your other players so that they can stay hydrated and not die out there on the court, that's you. If you know your role and you can be a leader, you can be a leader in that sense. And I think one of the other um, biggest things Strive taught me, and I'll say this quickly, is that the first, oh man, this is going to be weird. Okay. The (laughs) the biggest leader is the first follower. Mm. And coming behind somebody you see doing great and just being able to support them in whatever role they are doing top-notch that that's that's it you know just knowing your role knowing your lane and doing that job yeah yeah the first follower that's that's another podcast episode too that's <laughs> I mean, talk <laughs> i mean for for me i think uh joke joking aside outside of the fact that i want people to listen to me um i, I do i do i i as as i was thinking about it i think i was thinking very, along the same line as jared it was um knowing your role i think in understanding that leadership doesn't always, I think at times people think that you have to be the outspoken person in a group in order to be a leader. Uh, it comes in so many different ways. Yeah. Um, and there are so many different actions. And I also think that leadership can present itself in different situations, even for the same person differently. I, I 100% will admit to the fact that I love being the head coach of a team because I like to genuinely talk. But at the same time, I think that the role I enjoy most is being an assistant coach. I will 100% admit to the fact that I think I am a better assistant coach than I am a head coach. Um, and I, because I will be the person that just sits behind you and I will be your first follower and I'll be your biggest cheerleader hundred percent of the time. Um, so for me, like, I think that's, I think it's understanding that also leadership changes within the, based on the situation as well. I love it. I love it. You're really good cheerleader. Uh, um, I so I do like I am supposed to do leadership right programs and and create leadership programs for my job right for an entire sorority, um, and so I think for me leadership yes it is understanding who you are at your core. Um, and our sorority's motto is "Esse Quamvideri," which means to be rather than to seem. And that's something that I've carried with me since I initiated as a member, right? Since I went through recruitment. Um, And like, it's really this idea of truly being who you are every step of the way as you grow and develop and not, um, I know a lot of people like to say, fake it till you make it. And Caroline, this is going to be something that people will probably push back on me. I don't really love fake it till you make it. Sorry, everyone. I kind of like just like being who you are. And if it means that you're not there, you don't need to fake it. Like, be honest about where you are in your leadership and where you are as in your, in your development. Yeah. Um, with that, like not seeming to be like actually being is, is leading with integrity and standing up with what's for what's right. Even if everyone else is going to not, it's not popular. Right. So I think, especially today, like you have to stand up for what's just, um, and what's equitable, right. And not just what makes things equal, but what makes them equitable and, and how do you support your, you know, how do you put advocate for yourself 
Um, and I think that's what makes a leader, right? You're advocating for yourself and for others, and you're truly being who you are, and you're not pretending to be something that you're not. And I, to me, that's what leadership is, um, and finding and seeking those skills. So again, advocating for yourself um, to gain the skills that you want, you need to gain, want to gain to be the best version of yourself um, is what I would say leadership is to me. Wow. You guys just, you gave me like seven Instagram posts in one because I'm stealing all those quotes. I loved Happy it. To help. I loved it so much. Well, Are you okay. stealing the what about me wanting to hear myself talk? Yes, people that one's the part. first one going out. <laughs> it's like the office quote. What does Michael Scott say? I want to be loved or do you want to be? Re- I, yeah, I want people to fear me, but love me at the same time or something. Like Whereas like, I want to, I want them to love me so much that they, yeah. They, they, they fear me or something. Yeah. <laughs> That's perfect. Well, seriously, you guys will definitely be back on, but until then, thank you so much for being on. I know Jared and I had an incredible time talking with you both. So thanks for letting me talk. You all have a great rest of your day. Thank you. And thank you to everyone who tuned in today. How You Lead Matters podcast comes out on a monthly basis. And if you are looking for more content, where should they look, Jared? You can follow us on all socials at How You Lead Matters or email us today to schedule your own Strive workshop. Talk to you next month. Peace.